to learn the discipline of waiting. Psalm 40. To the chief musician, a psalm of David. I waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined to me and heard my cry. He also brought me up out of a horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and set my feet upon a rock and established my steps. He's put a new song in my mouth. Praise to our God. Many will see it in fear and will trust in the Lord. Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust and does not respect the proud nor turn nor such as turn aside the lies. Many, O oh, oh Lord my God, are your wonderful works which you have done. And your thoughts toward us cannot be recounted to you in order. If I would declare and speak them, they are more than can be numbered. Sacrifice and offering you do not desire. My ears you have opened. Burnt offering and sin offering you did not require. Then I, then I said, Behold, I come. In the scroll of the book it is written of me. I delight to do your will, O my God, and your law is within my heart. I have proclaimed the good news of righteousness in the great assembly. Indeed, I do not restrain my lips. O Lord, you yourself know. I have not hidden your righteousness within my heart. I have declared your faithfulness and your salvation. I have not concealed your loving kindness and your truth from the great assembly. Do not withhold your tender mercies from me, O Lord. Let your loving kindness and your truth continually preserve me. For innumerable evils have surrounded me. My iniquities have overtaken me so that I'm not able to look up. They are more than the hairs of my head. Therefore, my heart fails me. Be pleased, O Lord, to deliver me. O Lord, make haste to help me. Let them be ashamed and brought to mutual confusion who seek to destroy my life. Let them be driven backward and brought to dishonor who wish me evil. Let them be confounded because of their shame who say to me, Aha, aha. Let all those who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. Let such as love your salvation say continually, The Lord be magnified. But I am poor and needy, yet the Lord thinks upon me. You are my help and my deliverer. Do not delay, O my God. Let's pray together. Gracious Father, we thank you this morning that we can come uh, before you, confessing that we are poor and needy. And Lord, we come before you to offer you our worship and our praise. Lord, we thank you that you have created us in your image so that we can know you. And you've created us to be worshipers. You've created us for your glory. And you have created us to delight in your presence. But Lord, sometimes because of our iniquity, because of our sin, Lord, sometimes we are separated from you, cut off from you. And instead of coming and seeking mercy and grace, we run and hide in fear. But Lord, we thank you that you have provided for us. You've made a way for us in Christ Jesus. To have our sins washed away, our guilt taken away, our shame removed from us. As we come by your grace through our faith in Jesus. And we can come before you with clean hands and pure hearts because what he accomplished for us on the cross. Lord, we thank you that he has died for our sins, taking away our guilt and our shame. We thank you that you have raised him from the dead to show that sacrifice was accepted. And we thank you that you have come to us in the person of the Holy Spirit to help us to see 
your loving kindness, to help us to see your grace, to help us to see your mercy, and to proclaim it as we've worshiped together today. And Lord, we pray that your spirit would enable us and empower us to worship you in spirit and truth. And it is in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Yeah, let me encourage you to take your hymnal and turn with me to hymn number 96. Hymn number 96, Great is Thy Faithfulness. Great is thy faithfulness, O Lord, my Father. There is no shadow of turning with thee. Take your Bibles and turn with me to uh, the book of Luke, Luke's Gospel. Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1, and today we'll begin reading in the fifth verse. Last week we looked at uh, the inspiration, how God brought this gospel to us through Luke the Gentile, the doctor who carefully investigated uh, the things that had been told, the things that had been heard. Uh, he interviewed eyewitness, and, uh, uh, and what we get today is very much uh, has the marks of an eyewitness account, finding out what Elizabeth and Zacharias were experiencing what they felt when the angel of the Lord appeared to Zacharias in the holy place and announced to him that his wife would give birth to a son. They would call his name John and that John would turn uh, many of Israel to the Lord their God and he was being sent to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And so today we will look at the announcement of the birth of John the Baptist. So Luke chapter 1, beginning in the fifth verse, Luke writes, after carefully investigating and also under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, so writing for us the very words of God. In Luke chapter 1, verse 5, there was in the days of Herod, the king of Judea, a certain priest named Zacharias of the division of Abijah. His wife was of the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord, blameless. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and they were both well advanced in years. So it was that while he was serving as priest before God in the order of his division, according to the custom of the priesthood, his lot fell to burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord. And the whole multitude of the people was praying outside at the hour of incense. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zacharias saw him, he was troubled and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your prayers heard. And your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness and many will rejoice at his birth. But he will be great in the sight of the Lord and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. He will also be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. He will also go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And Zacharias said to the angel, 
How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is well advanced in years. And the angel answered and said to him, I am Gabriel, who stands in the presence of God, and was sent to speak to you and bring you these glad tidings. But behold, you will be mute and not able to speak until the day these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their own time. And the people waited for Zacharias and marveled that he lingered so long in the temple. But when he came out, he could not speak to them. And they perceived that he had seen a vision in the temple, for he beckoned to them and remained speechless. So it was, as soon as the days of his service were completed, that he departed to his own house. Now after those days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and she hid herself five months, saying, Thus the Lord has dealt with me. In the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. Let's pray together. Lord God, we're so thankful for this opportunity that we have to gather together around your word. Lord, we're thankful that you have spoken to us. And you've spoken to us in a way that's clear, in a way that is direct, in a way that is profitable, useful for us. And Lord, we pray that as we consider your word this day, that your spirit would lead us into the truth. And Lord, help us to be believing. Help us to be understanding and believing. And then Lord, help us to demonstrate our faith through our obedience. May we have a righteousness before you that is a gift of your grace through our faith in Christ. And Lord, may we also walk in your commandments and your ordinances in a way that is blameless. And Lord, help us to be patient and to wait, to wait upon you, trusting that even when we can't see, even when it doesn't feel like it, you're at work, you're working for your glory and for the joy, the greater joy of your people. And so Lord, grant us a spirit of patience and perseverance and endurance even when we live in difficult days. And it is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And so the point of this passage is pretty clear. We see that the angel of the Lord, uh, Gabriel, sent by God into the temple to meet with Zacharias and to announce to him the birth of his son, that his wife in her old age will conceive and bear a son, and they will call his name John. And we come to call this John, John the Baptist, because the... uh, distinctive part of his ministry as he goes out into the wilderness to turn the the children of Israel to the Lord their God and to prepare the hearts of the people to receive their king, going before the the Christ, the Messiah, and the spirit of Elijah, the mark, the visible mark of his ministry will be a baptism of repentance. As those come and they confess their sins, they repent in preparation for receiving the king, they submit themselves to baptism And so this John will become known as John the Baptist because of that distinctive mark of his ministry. And so we have the announcement of the birth of John the Baptist. And uh, what I would like to do is to to take some time to to look at this passage from three three different perspectives. Uh, From the perspective of Elizabeth, his mom, Zacharias, his father, and then also uh, how the angel describes the ministry of John the Baptist. It's an announcement of John the Baptist, but I think there are these three perspectives that will be useful for us to look at. And so what we're going to do 
Instead of looking at those three perspectives in one long sermon, we will look at them one at a time in shorter sermons. Amen? And so, uh, so we will uh, look today at the perspective of Elizabeth, the mother of John the Baptist. And Luke tells us some significant facts, some significant points about Elizabeth. The first thing that we see here is that Elizabeth lived during very dark days. We talked last week about Luke and how Luke uh, uh, sets the events of the life and ministry of Jesus in their historical context. One of the things that helps us see that this is true, that this is the Word of God, it's God's Word, it's the Gospel, it's an authoritative, trustworthy Gospel, is Luke sets it in its historical context in those verifiable markers, and he tells us that this occurred when Herod was the king of Judea. In the days of Herod the king of Judea, verse 5, which means that Judea, Jerusalem, is under the dominion of Rome and under the tyranny of that wicked and evil emperor in that wicked and evil empire. And the emperor had appointed Herod over this region, over the region of Judea. And Herod himself was a very wicked and evil man, a very paranoid man. He had been appointed by Caesar, and he did everything within his power to make sure that he held on to his throne. Everything that he could do to secure his power, he would do to include murdering members of his own family if he perceived them to be a threat to his throne. Uh, one historian said it would, you were safer to be Herod's dog than to be his son. Because if he perceived his son to be a threat to his, son, his, his throne, he would murder even his own son in an attempt to hold on to power. And we know that Herod was so evil and so wicked that he would even give an order to go and murder all of the baby boys under two years old in a region of his empire, in a region of his kingdom, outside of Bethlehem, because he had heard that perhaps one of those boys might be the rightful and just king of the Jews. And so we see that Herod is an evil and wicked man, the puppet king of an evil and wicked empire. These are dark days for the citizens of Judea, for the citizens of Jerusalem. And I wonder, you know, as, things, as the darkness had come along this, uh, around this land, the, the, the bondage, the, the, the Romans and Herod and his soldiers, I wonder if the people had almost given up hope. These are dark days, and it doesn't look like that God hears us, that God sees us, and maybe they had grown weary in praying for the Christ, praying for the Messiah. Maybe they said, you know, as, as much as we pray, the more we pray, things just get worse and worse. Things get darker and darker. I wonder if during the times of Herod, they had not given up hope. And then as I thought about that this week, I wondered about us. As we live in a, in a culture that is increasingly hostile to the things of God, and there's increasing uh, hostility and persecution to those who believe the truth of the gospel, I wonder if maybe we get weary and tired of praying the last prayer of, of Scripture, oh, even so, come Lord Jesus, or praying as God told us to pray, Jesus told us to pray in, in, in the Lord's Prayer, 
Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we pray, we pray, we pray, and things just seem to get worse and worse and darker and darker. And I wonder if we don't grow weary and pray maybe only perfunctory or ritualistically. Pray for our daily bread and to make it through today, but maybe we grow weary or stop praying. Come, Lord Jesus. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Elizabeth lived during dark days. The second thing we see about Elizabeth is that she was married to a priest and she was the daughter of a priest. We see that uh, in the days of Herod, the king of Judea, a certain priest named Zacharias of the division of Abijah, his wife was the daughters of the daughters of Aaron and her name was Elizabeth. And so Elizabeth was married to a priest, and she was of the daughters of Aaron. She herself was of the tribe of Levi in the line of the great, the first high priest of the nation of Israel, Aaron, the brother of Moses, the father of all of the high and chief priests of her people. And we can imagine, we know uh, from, from history that Elizabeth, as the the daughter of the daughters of the priest and the line of a priest, that her childhood was focused on uh, learning the importance of being a member of the tribe of Levi, the chosen tribe, the tribe that God had called to himself, redeemed to himself to be his priest, to be the tribe that would bring the people of God to, uh, uh, to the Lord and to bring the Lord to the people of God, to be the people who would serve the temple and offer the sacrifices and burn the incense and do all of the service of the house of the Lord among the people. And how important it was to be a part of the tribe of, of Levi and to be a descendant, a direct descendant of Aaron, the high priest. And how important it would be for her to learn how to cook and to sew and to mend and to tend and to keep a, keep a, a household, to keep a, a quiet home, a kosher home, being prepared to be married to a priest, to be able to make a home for her husband as he served in the temple of the Lord, and also the importance of keeping that line going, bearing a child, children of the line of Levi, the line of Aaron the priest, raising up a house full of little priests, future priests, keeping that line alive, keeping that line going, and nurturing those children, and contributing to the godliness, the holiness of her people by raising godly children, godly sons. From her earliest days, that would be instilled in her as her dream. And she lived in dark days, and she was the wife and the, of a priest, and she herself was a descendant of the priest. And we, third thing that Luke tells us about Elizabeth is, is that Zacharias and Elizabeth were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord, blameless. And so we read that Elizabeth was righteous. And those who were declared righteous before the death of Christ, were declared righteous the same way that we are declared righteous after the death of Christ. We are declared righteous by God's grace through faith. Way back in the book of Genesis, in Genesis chapter 15, verse 6, we read that Abraham believed God 
and it was credited to him righteousness. Abraham was declared righteous, was made righteous by his faith. He, degle- he, 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 he believed God. And God credited to him righteousness based on God's grace through his faith. Same would be said of Zacharias and Elizabeth. They they were righteous before God. And that's important to note that Luke adds that, righteous before God, so their righteousness was not just outward performance. It was not like the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees who were focused on what people could see and focused on outward performance and focused on doing all of these things in order to be seen by men No, their righteousness was before God who looks at the heart. It was not just an outward righteousness based on outward performance or based on outward deeds. No, this was a righteousness that was before God who looks at the heart. Elizabeth believed God. She trusted God. She had a heart that loved God, that desired to serve God, that wanted to do that which was pleasing to God. She believed God and she believed that his law was good and right. And her faith was such that it resulted in her obedience. She was righteous before God. And because of her righteousness, because of her faith, she walked in all the commandments and the ordinances of the Lord in a way that we would look and say was blameless. She believed God. She believed his ordinances that he had given to all all people and the creation ordinances in the garden. And she also believed those commandments that he gave to his people at Mount Sinai. And because of her faith, she showed her faith through her obedience as she walked in all the commands and all the ordinances of God in a way that was blameless. She lived in dark days. She was the descendant of a priest and married to a priest. She was righteous, trusting God and seeking to glorify him in her life and do that which was pleasing in his sight. And then the fourth thing that Luke tells us about Elizabeth is that she had no child. She was barren. Verse 7. They had no child because Elizabeth was barren. All of her life she'd been taught the importance of making a home, being a wife, And bringing children into the world, little image bearers. And raging those image bearers of God in a way that would bring him glory and honor. And yet, she had no child. She was barren. No doubt when Zacharias and Elizabeth were first married, they came together fully expecting to to have children. And after a while, began to fervently pray that God would grant them this desire, this wish. But Elizabeth was barren. And then we learn that she was also well advanced in years. And perhaps because of that, because of that, all hope was gone. All human hope that she would have a child, that she would have children, had been, had been gone because of her advanced age. And even Zechariah, uh, when he speaks to the angel, he says, uh, I'm an old man and my wife is well advanced in years. And so they had given up hope that they would have this blessing 
this honor of having a child. And so Elizabeth was barren, and she was well advanced in years beyond the age of childbearing. And then the next thing that we see about this, about Elizabeth, is that she saw that, the fact that she was barren. She saw that as a reproach. We see that in verse 25. Thus the Lord has dealt with me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people, my shame, my disgrace. She lived in a culture where bearing children, that was what women did. That was their purpose. That was uh, their, their, their meaning in life. And for a woman to be barren would be the ultimate disgrace. You know, most Jews during this time, they didn't believe, didn't have a well-developed doctrine of the resurrection. And they believed that a person would live on through the lives of their children, through their seed, through their line. And to not have children would be a disgrace. It, it would be to your neighbors and your friends evidence that even though in your outward performance you appear to be righteous, you appear to be blameless in all the commandments and ordinances, there must be some deep secret sin, something in your heart for which God is judging you and withholding from you the great blessing of bearing a child, of being a parent, of raising children. And so all would assume that the reason you did not have children was because of some punishment, some discipline from the Lord, some secret sin that would cause the Lord to withhold the greatest of all blessings from you. And so she saw this as a reproach, shame, disgrace. She felt like a failure. Everything that she had ever hoped for and dreamed for had been hold, held back from her, and it was a reproach, a shame. But then, the next thing we see about Elizabeth is that the Lord enabled her to conceive. And the Lord dealt with her, she said in verse 25, in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach from among the people. And so by God's grace, he enabled uh, Elizabeth to conceive and to ultimately give birth to a baby that she would name John. And John would be great in the sight of the Lord. Would go before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to prepare to make ready a people for the Lord. The Lord intervened, and the Lord enabled and empowered her to conceive, to take away her shame and her reproach. So Elizabeth lived in dark days, days where perhaps people had given up. Had thought, you know, we, we've been praying for Messiah for these thousands of years, he's never come. They had given up, and days were just darker and darker. And the Lord came and answered their prayers, even though it seemed like all hope was gone. 
The angel told Zacharias, your prayer is heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And so as we think about this text from the perspective of, of uh, Elizabeth, there's, there's several applications. You know, first we, we see that, uh, that children are indeed a blessing from the Lord. You know, we live in a society and a culture and a nature where, a, a, a nation where, where uh, reproduction rates are declining. Over the last generation, increased educational employment opportunities for women, the ability to artificially regulate reproduction and even to legally murder children within the womb has resulted in a, a lack of the reproduction rate, a, a devaluing of children in our culture. Women feel like that in order to be fulfilled, in order to, to have meaning in their life, that they need to be like men. They need to get an education. They need to work outside of the home. And children are seen as a, 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 an obstacle to that, to their individual autonomy, to their economic freedom, to their, their, uh, uh, their ambitions, their goals. And as a nation, we have declining birth rates, and now we are reproducing at less than the replacement rate. We see children not as a blessing from the Lord, but as an obstacle to our own hopes and our own dreams. And a nation that is not reproducing at a rate to replace itself obviously will cease to exist. A nation that is not reproducing that replacement rate is a nation of people in decline. But the clear testimony of Scripture is that children are a blessing from the Lord. In fact, the very first blessing in all of creation was when God created the man and the woman. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And then we're told in, in the book of Genesis chapter 1, God blessed them. He blessed them. He did not command them. He blessed them and told them to be fruitful and multiply and to fill the earth. With little image bearers, God had created the man and the woman in his own image and he had created them with the ability to reproduce and, for, and the woman to bring into the world image bearers of God. And he blessed the man and the woman and told them to fill all of this world, all of this world, or earth, with image bearers. And he gave the woman the awesome privilege of being able to bring Image bearers into the world and the awesome responsibility to nurture them and to contribute to the godliness of her people by raising children in the fear and admonition of the Lord. An awesome blessing, the first blessing, be fruitful and multiply. And imagine the blessing after the man and the woman they had sinned in, in uh, Genesis chapter 3. And they died spiritually. They died spiritually when they heard God walking in the, in the cool of the, the, the garden. They ran away and hid. And if they were spiritually alive, they would have come to God and said, God, we know you to be merciful and gracious. We have sinned against you. We have violated your command. Please forgive us. But no, instead they ran and they hid and they fully expected that they were going to die. God had told them the day that you eat of the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, you will surely die. And so they heard God, they ran, 
They were afraid. They hid themselves. And imagine their shock when they heard the Lord say to the serpent, I will put enmity between your seed and the seed of the woman. But wait a minute, wait a minute. You mean we're not going to die? We're not going to die physically? We're going to be able to reproduce? There's going to be seed? There's going to be, there's hope? You're not going to wipe us out and destroy us, but we're going to be able to live in order to reproduce and have this blessing of being fruitful and multiply? Oh, the blessing that they heard when God told the serpent that the woman would have a seed, that there would be reproduction, that there would be new image bearers born. And not only that, the woman was told that one of her seeds would eventually crush the head of the serpent. Children are a blessing from the Lord. Because of her sin, the woman was told that uh, that she would have uh, conceive in pain and, and this great blessing would be accompanied with pain and suffering, but ultimately children are a blessing from the Lord. And in our society, we and most of us, you know, grandparents, great-grandparents, citizens of America, we need to shout from the mountaintops that children are a blessing from the Lord. Children are a blessing. And that it is the great and awesome privilege of women to bring image bearers of God into the world. And it is the great and awesome responsibility for her to nurture those children and to contribute to the godliness of her people by raising godly children. What an awesome privilege and what an awesome calling. Children are a blessing from the Lord, and Elizabeth understood that fully. And the second truth we see from this passage is that uh, God is sovereign over the womb. God is sovereign over the womb. He opens the womb for his purpose and his good pleasure, and he closes the womb for his purpose and his good pleasure. While it is the design for the vast majority of women, to bear children, to bring image bearers into the world. There are some that God gives the gift of singleness in order to equip them and enable them to serve in in the kingdom of God in ways they would not be able to. Others, for his own purpose and his own glory and his own will, he closes the womb of others. And we see that God is sovereign over the womb. And you know what happens to Elizabeth is very similar to what has happened throughout. The, we, we see it in the scripture very often. You remember Sarah, Abraham and Sarah, much like uh, Zacharias and Elizabeth were advanced in age and they had no child. And yet God miraculously provided for the birth of Isaac, one of the patriarchs, one of the fathers of the nation. We talk of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And God had closed the womb of Sarah. But when all hope was lost, God opened her womb and Isaac was born for the patriarchs of the Jewish people, the Jewish nation. 
And then we see the same with Isaac's wife, Rebekah. After a period of barrenness, Rebekah conceived twins, and Esau and Jacob were born. Jacob, Israel, the father of the nation. And then after a period of barrenness, Jacob's wife, Rachel, God opened her womb, and Joseph was born, a man who would deliver his people and rescue them. God is sovereign over the womb, and for his own glory and his own purpose, he opens and he closes the womb, and he shows his special care for Israel. He shows Israel's miraculous beginning, that they are the apple of his eye, and that he is sovereign over every aspect of that nation, miraculously bringing the patriarchs of Isaac and Jacob into the world and miraculously bringing the preserver, Joseph, after periods of barrenness. God is sovereign over the womb for his own purpose, his own glory. And then we also see, as we continue through the, the scripture, we see something very similar to uh, John the Baptist. There was a man named uh, Manoah during the time of the judges, whose wife was barren. And an angel of the Lord appeared to him and said that she would bear a son after a period of barrenness that would begin to deliver his people from the Philistines. And, and this boy, this son, would be a Nazarite from birth. And God would be, begin the deliverance of his people from the Philistines. And Samson was born. And then at the end of the period of Judges, when the nation was in the very dark days and had descended into, into great uh, sin and evil and wickedness, there was another woman who experienced a period of barrenness. A woman named Hannah. And God opened her womb and Samuel was born. And Samuel would be a Nazarite from birth. And Samuel would be the last of the judges and he would be the one that would anoint David, the king over Israel. And so what happens to Zacharias and Elizabeth, and we'll see later, we'll talk later, verse 15, we see that John the Baptist, like Samson, like Samuel, will be a Nazarite from birth. And we see God's sovereignty and God's grace. His miraculous care for his people. His care and his power and his sovereignty over the womb for his purpose and for his own glory, his greater glory. So when we think of this text from the perspective of Elizabeth, we have to see that children are a blessing from the Lord and that God is sovereign. God is sovereign over the womb for his own purpose, for his greater glory, and for the ultimate joy of his people. He is sovereign. He opens and he closes the womb. And I think there's a, also a, a, more general, a more general application of this particular passage. And that is the call to wait upon the Lord. Sarah and Rachel did not wait. Sarah and Rachel saw the reproach and the disgrace of a closed womb. And so 
both Sarah and Rachel gave their handmaids to their husbands. They didn't wait for the Lord. But Elizabeth waits patiently in dark days when they'd given up hope, when all human hope was gone. She waits and she perseveres. And you know, there's times that we might live in dark days. There's times when it seems like the Lord is not hearing our prayers. There's times when it seems like He does not hear, He does not answer, He does not see. We pray, we pray, we pray, and it does not appear that there's any answers. Things just get worse and worse and darker and darker. And we're fearing that the Lord does not hear, that He does not see, that He does not know, and maybe we give up hope. And I believe this passage tells us to persevere and endure and to wait upon the Lord, to believe that the Lord is at work. He's working for His glory. He's working for our joy. He's working for His purpose. Even when we don't see it, even when it doesn't look like it, even when it doesn't feel like it, God is at work. He is at work for His greater glory, His greater purpose. He is working out a plan to glorify Himself and to bring joy to His people in His time and in His perfect way. And so sometimes we are called simply to wait upon the Lord. To trust in active obedience. And even when we are living in dark days, and all hope seems to be gone, we can do what Zachariah and Elijah were doing. Zacharias and Elizabeth were doing. They were both righteous before God. God calls us to trust Him. To walk by faith. And we're made righteous by God, by His grace, through faith in Jesus Christ. And so when it looks like God does not hear, when it looks like God does not see, when it looks like God does not care, we must remember that God loves us so much that He has sent His Son into the world. He has not held back from us His own Son. In miraculous ways, He brought His Son into the world right at the perfect time. And Jesus lived a sinless life and then died on the cross to take the punishment that we deserve for our lack of righteousness. And God raised Him from the dead to show that sacrifice was accepted. And when we trust in Jesus, we're born again to new life. And His righteousness is imparted to us by God's grace through faith. And even in dark days, we remember, if He gave us His Son, He's already given us the greatest possible gift. And how will He not with Him now give us all things? And so this text calls us to an active waiting, an active perseverance, righteous before God, walking by faith, a faith that results in obedience and all the commandments and all the ordinances, seeking to do that which is pleasing in His sight as we walk by faith in the power of the Holy Spirit. So as we look at the announcement of the birth of John the Baptist from the perspective of Elizabeth, we see the blessing. And God's sovereignty. And God working out His plan and His purpose. 
taking away reproach, disgrace, and shame. And when we trust in Jesus and in Him alone, our reproach, our disgrace, our shame is taken away and we're born again to new life. And we learn that children are blessed. God is sovereign and He's working out His plan and He will act in the way that brings Him the most glory and brings His people the most joy. And we persevere and endure waiting to see the hand of the Lord. Let's pray together. Lord God, we thank you for your word and we thank you for the truth of it, Lord. We just thank you for the beauty of this passage. And we thank you for your mercy and your grace and your sovereignty. And Lord, we thank you for the blessing of children. And Lord, we thank you for our children, for our grandchildren, our great-grandchildren. And Lord, we pray for them as they grow in a culture and a nation very different than the one in which we grew. And Lord, that you would help them to see your truth. Help them to see that children are a blessing from you. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior. Lord, help us to value life. Value children. And help us to commit in our season of life to make sure that that truth is proclaimed. The children are blessing and that you are sovereign over the womb. And you're working your plan and your purpose even when we don't see it, even when it doesn't feel like it. You're working. Your plan to glorify your son Jesus to build his kingdom, to build his church. And Lord, we pray that you grant us the grace to persevere and endure and wait. Actively waiting as we walk by faith, obeying the commands and the ordinances for your glory and our joy. And it is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, let me invite you to take out your Bible, and I mean your hymnal.